Oh, that's all. Give me a little bit of mace. Welcome back, AC. Welcome <laughs> back to that. This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the Die Hard Duke Basketball Fans Podcast. We will now be with you every single week through the end of the last ride. We got a lot to talk about, and we got two special guests this episode. We got Brian mm-hmm. McElhorn and Clint Jackson, two of the godfathers of the Duke program. They know everything that is going on about recruiting, everything that's going on about the team. They will be here to chop it up uh, and tell you, really, if you like inside uh, recruiting intel, these are the two guys you want to know. Brian and Clint are two of the best in the business. So we'll have them on a little bit later in the show. But boys, how's your, how's your summer? You see, you, you doing We're back, that? man. Yeah. We're back, dude. Yeah, like, yeah man. It's it's time, man. Like the, the summer was good. We had a couple little shows over the summer. You know, I mean, I, I didn't get a chance to go to K Academy this year, but one of these days I'm gonna I'm gonna get us I'm gonna get us a, a straight up K Academy podcast, man. I'm telling you, I, I gotta get there for that. But nah, man, we're good. It's it's time to start this thing up, man. Don't say last. We can't say last, right? That's what I heard. I heard we can't say last if 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 we're talking about Duke and Coach K, right? So we gotta say the yeah. final ride, right? <laughs> or the pre John uh, Shire ride. Well, yeah. Well, that that was the other thing, is like uh, you know, I I did a post yesterday uh, on Instagram, and I put last ride in there because that's what we've been using. Mm-hmm. But, of course, then I hear the press conference where he said, I don't want to hear anybody say last. Um, <laughs> so uh, maybe I'll have to adjust that. Uh, Jack, hey, Jack, um, I heard you slapping the floor before we even signed in. Uh, I know you're jacked up uh, for the season. But speaking of jacked up, uh, Wendell Moore, uh, that dunk that he had in practice, why did he have to do – why do you have to do him like that? I feel so bad for that kid, man. Like, <laughs> look, I, I've been living off of off of the practice highlights. I, I miss Duke basketball too much. Mm-hmm. Man. It's been it's been too long since that uh that last that game against Louisville. But oh, I just feel for that poor kid. Like it's <laughs> and that's the new guy too, man. Exactly. That's the, that's the new guy everybody's speculating about. Honestly, I didn't even know who it is. I'm AC. Like they asked me, like who who is this guy? I don't know. <laughs> That's all Stanley was... Stanley Spencer Borden from Portugal, straight from. Sure. Uh, if Wendell's <laughs> doing that in games, though, whoo. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's, it's actually wait, it's, it's actually funny that you say that because before we get into everything, I actually wanted to ask both of you real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, we heard a lot about Wendell Moore last year, you know, coming mm-hmm. into the season. We kind of know how that went. I kind of get the feeling that we're hearing it again, but I kind of believe it now. Yeah, I think so. And I, I – we're hearing it from K this year, which is a little different from last year. Last year, K was he was all about he's showing that he can be a leader. He's you know I, I told him when he was a freshman, you know you're not pro ready. All the other things that K was saying about him, but he never like even though Wendell was putting uh, putting up like 37 point you know scrimmage games and stuff like that. It, K was never really like heaping the praise that he you know puts on a player that he knows is ready. And this year he's doing it. You know in his press conference he said he's not he didn't have and he made a point to say it. He didn't have a good summer. He had a sensational summer. He said it, you know, twice, two times in a row. So, you know, he doesn't really throw that around unless he is, you know, sure about a guy. So I I, I like what I'm hearing from Kay about Wendell. I'm like what I'm seeing from Wendell. We saw, like Jack said, some of the practice highlights and things. And his shot looks quicker and better, more confident. He looks more confident on the floor, man. He's – we talked about it before – he we we always envisioned him as that Chris Carwell kind of bring the whole thing together type of guy. And I really think that he can yeah. he can absolutely do that if the skill set that he could, 
you know potentially have actually does come to fruition. Yeah, definitely. Like I'm, I, I last year was very adamant. People hated on Wendell when he would have a bad game because people expect him to step up be this huge leader, take that sophomore leap that so many guys have. Mm-hmm. Wendell Moore played into his role phenomenally when he tried to do too much, mm-hmm. like he did those first few games, and occasionally over the course of the season he would do that. He he would not like the numbers wouldn't be there for him. But like if he stuck to that role of like corner three point shooter, guy who would drive to the basket, be a secondary facilitator to Jeremy. Occasionally the primary facilitator, but you know, he's kind of sticking to that wing role where mm-hmm. he'll he'll hit the corner shot. He was amazing, and that his defense was not bad either. I think it was right. above average personally. Yeah, like, I think on a team with you know <laughs> needed help all over the place. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like one one person can't stand out on defense unless they're Shane Battier. So yeah, I think I think a guy like Wendell, he's a guy who's gonna he's gonna plug a lot of holes. He's not gonna like be exceptional at one specific thing but if he can make that leap from last year to this year i think i think he's gonna be something special yeah well we're gonna find out all right so let's let's kick this show off the first of the season um let's talk Mm -hmm. about uh obviously yesterday uh tuesday was the first day of official practice Uh, i hope everybody's had a chance now to you know either read the uh quote from k's press conference or check out the, the full video but he had a lot to say, um, and you know, Jack, I'll, I'll start with you because you already mentioned it. You've been kind of living and dying with uh, a lot of these practice clips. Uh, they 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 sent out a lot of them. They they put out a, a really nice uh, a video there. Just kind of first impressions. What are you seeing? What are you what are you looking for? What are you a little hesitant about? What is your overall feeling right now after uh, after day one? So I'm just gonna I, I'm just gonna give my thoughts on just the entire summer of videos because I feel like Take if you away, add Jeff. it all together, you see, and it's Duke guys are gonna be consistent at a very high level, hopefully. Um, but you got you got guys like Mark Williams who I, from what I understand, Mark Mark's he's starting right right where he left off, and um, I'm really excited. You know, last game of the season, he had 23 points, 19 rebounds. I think Mark's going to be something special. Theo John backing him up, hopefully. Like Theo's Theo's been scary. I'm not going to lie, but no no the, Photoshop, no Photoshop. <laughs> no unlike Photoshop, some baby. some people, <laughs> I, AC. I know you got something to this say about that softy. one. <laughs> the softest player in college basketball has no, to Photoshop dude. his muscles on his body and post it. Oh my goodness! How, how <laughs> sad yeah, is that? Yeah. How sad is that? <laughs> oh, it's so sad. I was it's just so hilarious. Sad. Oh, it's so bad. Look, recruits, if you wanna if you wanna have some Photoshop muscles, go to UNC with Hubert Davis and Armando Baker. That'll be a great move for your career. And and and, and Hubert Davis tucking his sweatpants into his socks. <laughs> what is that? It's- I mean, I do that in baseball practice, but that's baseball. <laughs> I mean, anyway, we're getting off the rails here, uh, <laughs> and we're we're just getting started. I mean, this is the first practice of the year. It's the first mm-hmm. contest of the year, so we're, we're we're taking the training wheels off. Look, um, you know, I I actually want to kind of touch on what, what Jack just brought up about Mark Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, AC, do you think that it is a little – kind of like how we talked about Wendell Moore and, and kind of unrealistic expectations for him coming into his sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think expectations for Mark Williams are absolutely through the roof. And while I do think he will have a really big year, I do think we need to temper them just a little bit because now teams will have to – game plan for him a bit. I know he won't be the primary uh, you know, player that coaches are game planning against, 
but they're going to game plan for him now. They know mm-hmm. that he's he's the threat that he can be with that you know uh, length, with that wingspan. Um, especially, I mean, Chris Carroll talked about it in in, in you know his comments. They're going to be looking to you know anytime that someone gets in the lane, lob it up by the rim, he's going to go get it. Right. So. Kind of talk about where you see him this year. Do you think he comes up and meets those expectations, or do you think he has, uh, you know, a little bit of a rocky ride than most people, most fans are uh, expecting? I, I do think. I think the fan. I think the fan base in general. I think it would be a good idea to temper the expectation a little bit. I'm not saying he's not going to have a good season. I'm not saying he's not going to have a season that's going to put him into the NBA. I really think he's going to have that obviously we got, you know, the commitment from Derek Lively. I think that's a part of it, but you know, with, with Mark Williams, man, like the measurables are all there. The athleticism is all there. He's now a sophomore in a system that he's been in before. It's, it's all there for him to do something special with it this season. And I think he and Wendell Moore are the two guys that really do have to have good seasons for us to win a title. And and I think he can do that. I absolutely think that his ceiling is is someone who can be you know a, a top tier ACC player, maybe even one of those guys you look at you know amongst the centers in the nation and say he's one of the best centers in the nation or whatever. But I don't want to expect that from him. I want I want to be I want to expect from him that he can play the switch on defense and play the guards on the perimeter when he has to because that's what's going to happen to him. He's he's one of those guys that could very easily be game planned out of a game. And that's the thing I don't want to happen to him this year. It happened to him last year some. And, you know, obviously those last six games of the season, he really just, you know, he, he hit his zone. But, you know, that, that's his zone. And now it, there's a lull and uh, there's been space between then and now. And if he doesn't come out of the gates, you know, with 23 and 19, I don't want fans to turn on this dude, man, because I don't, I don't know that that's something that we can expect from him. We can't expect double-digit rebounds every game and, and – almost double-digit blocks every game and 20 points a game. I don't even think he's going to be the third-leading scorer on this team. But I do think he can get the putbacks. I think he can be a really good offensive rebounder. Obviously, with that with that jumping ability and the length that he has on defense, he's obviously going to affect the game down low, and that's a given. But can he stay out of foul trouble? It, you know, how, how much Theo John do we see? If Mark is really playing well, I don't think we see much Theo John, quite honestly. So, you know, he's – he he's he's got that very specialized skill set. Let's see what he can do with it. Yeah, and and you know we're going to talk about expectations for each you know of the returners and each of the freshmen uh, coming in. But I guess you know kind of talking about the the team in general. Um, you know, where do we see this team? What kind of style of play do we see them? They they have so much versatility. Uh, if you ask the coaches, if you look at Kay's press conference. We have the outside shooters. He was very high on Trevor Keels, which I was not expecting, just because I hadn't heard a whole lot, you know, throughout mm-hmm. the, uh, through the throughout the summer about him. Uh, he talked about uh, AJ, which we expected. We weren't sure though what he was going to be, you know, coming off an injury, coming off and not playing for a year. Um, but he's already talked about the camaraderie that these guys have built, you know, coming in June early, getting themselves acclimated. Um, AC, what what kind of team um style of play and togetherness do you think that we're going to have with this group first and foremost i think this team has no choice but to be more together than last year's team at least you know what i mean like if, if that's who we're going to compare them against they, they have no choice but to be more uh more together than last year's team they've already been together now for three four months 
you know, they, they've talked offline before even getting on campus. The, the new guys were, you know, adamant about this is not going to be last year. The, the returners were adamant about this is not going to be last year. So I think they're all bought in. I, I think the guys are bought in. It's, it's easier to navigate uh, COVID this year than it was last year. So and fans are back. That's, I, I tried to downplay last year how important the fans were, and I apologize. <laughs> because clearly, <laughs> clearly that you know, clearly it makes a difference. I you know, it, it's one of those things. But but no, I I really do see this as being a together team, and I do see this as being a team that absolutely. I, I feel like they almost have no choice but to be more efficient than they were last year. I mean, last year's team was so inefficient, so young because they did come in so late and rarely had practice and everything else. And for them to even put together the season that they had, I guess I'm that, maybe that's somewhat of a miracle. I don't know, but. But but this team has no choice but to be more efficient and more together. Yeah, and I'm not going to talk about last season ever again. Um, so, Jack, let's talk about expectations for the returning guys. One guy we haven't even brought up yet. I want to start there at the point guard, uh, Jeremy Roach. What are your expect- expectations for him coming into this year? They're a lot higher than I think they should be. I, I, I think I need to temper my expectations. But when it comes to Duke point guards coming back for a second year, in my memory, I've, I've been pretty spoiled with the exception of Greg Paulus. Um, <laughs> like, I, I guess Jay Williams was a little before my, my memory, but that, that guy had an incredible sophomore leap. Mm-hmm. Just more recently, Quinn Cook, Trey Jones, mm-hmm. the two guys we've had uh, return to play PG, and they've returned at a pretty incredible level. So I, I kind of expect Jeremy to do that too. Looking at the coaching staff, it's a bunch of guys who played point. Like it's a couple guys who played point guard in Smith and Shire. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to expect that he worked with them a lot this summer. And I mean, having Keels next to him is going to be huge for him knowing that they played together in high school. So like, I, I think he's going to be a, he's going to be better than last year. I think he had some really good games. He had some really bad games. I think we're going to see more, a lot more good compared to last year. This coming year, I think, I think this team is better suited to his play style. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the spacing is going to be a lot better for him. He's more of a drive and kick PG than, than a shooter. He's not going to be forced to shoot those awkward jump shots that we saw a lot last year. And even if he does, I think his shots improved pretty, pretty nicely. So. I don't know. I, I expect yeah, a lot I'm, from Jeremy, but I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't meet my expectations. <laughs> yeah, I have, I, have, I have pretty big expectations for him as well. I, I I was not down on him last year either. I thought he he had the exact same season that I thought he would. Um, it was one of the only we were able to uh, predict last year. But, you know, AC, you know him better than anybody. You know, he's from your area. You've seen him play a million times. You know how he and Keels play together. What mm-hmm. are your expectations for, for Jeremy Roach? Sophomore year, Duhan. I'm putting him at sophomore year, Duhan. Duhan, soft, his sophomore year, he didn't quite, he didn't score quite. He wasn't a big scorer that season. What Duhan did his sophomore year was he ran the team, he ran the offense, he became a super leader as a sophomore, and that was a big deal. And that's yeah. that's something for that team that was you know really really important coming off a national title. Obviously, that team fell short, but one of the guys who kind of brought things together for that squad, you know, basically a team of six, maybe even seven guys at times only played that season. But Duhan was just, he was all over the court on defense. He, he scored when he needed to, he gave the team what they needed at the moment. And I, and I have, I have no problem saying that Jeremy Roach can do that this season. 
And I, you know, I, I saw Nolan Smith say that the team, you know, kind of lives and dies with Jeremy this year. And I think that's high praise from Nolan. I think Nolan's seeing good things from him. And I know Jeremy was up here this summer working a lot. And, yep. and, and that's, that's a big deal. And he's got more trust back in the knee. He's got over that soft, that freshman hump. I, I, th- I think he got over the, you know, the mental yeah. hurdle of everything. He came from a school that saw zone a lot in high school, and he had to come now and come to college and play against man all the time. And I think that was a big adjustment for him. So I, I think the game will slow down for him this year. I think we're going to see, we are going to see some bad games from him this year. I mean, you know, that's, that's, it's sure. a part of the game. It's a, it's just the nature of it. But I do think when when the rubber hits the road and at the end of the season when we really need to start making that push towards the tournament, you're really going to see like a locked-in Jeremy Roach, man. He's going to be one of those guys that it, he, you're, you're going to look back at the end of the season and say this dude was a – you know, this is the difference between the season that it started looking like and this is the, you know, the season it became. Yeah, and, and, you know, Jack brought it up, but I, I think that he's going to be a really terrific shooter. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. The kid is working his butt off to to, mm-hmm. to become better. So, you know, and speaking of shooters, uh, the one guy we haven't talked to uh, talked about, you know, coming back is Joey Baker. Uh, I mm-hmm. know that, you know, Kay has mentioned that, you know, he's going through a little bit of an injury, but nothing serious. Um, Kay talked about, again, that he's had an excellent summer, uh, mm-hmm. that he's shooting the ball well. Um, we kind of know what this is going to be, in my opinion. It's going to be a guy that if he's hitting shots, he's going to play. If he's not hitting shots, he's probably not going to play. But, but Jack, um, you know, expectations. Joey Baker, what do you got? I am always a little too high on Joey Baker. I love Joey <laughs> Baker. He is Joey Buckets. And why not love Joey Buckets? Um, Joey, Bo- I, Bo- Joey Bojangles this year. Oh, that's, that's true. Right. He's Joey. He's Joey. Joey three piece. I can't even say that. <laughs> Man, I miss Bojangles. Joe Jangles. Oh my gosh, you did not just okay. <laughs> I think I think Joey Buckets is gonna be. He's gonna be that guy. He's gonna be that guy who provides the spacing off the bench. Um, mm-hmm. when one of the starters isn't in, he's gonna be that shooting threat. Think uh, think like Jack White before he started missing threes in 2019. He's a guy who's gonna he's gonna sit there on the perimeter. He's gonna catch and shoot and make his mm-hmm. shots. If Kay's praising him, I remember a couple of years ago, Kay was saying he's great when he doesn't dribble. He he's not he's not disparaging his players. His, he's not disparaging his guy um, mm-hmm. on media day now, which is always oh, a good sign. Yeah, especially since Joey Baker has, from what I understand, he's been in the doghouse a little bit with Kay the last few years, like performance wise and otherwise. Um, it's if Kay's praising him like this, Joey's going to have a good year, I think. I think he's going to get the play time. Oh. He's going to be – it's going to be him and my guess is Keels off the bench. They're going to mm-hmm. be – and John, those are going to be the only guys that really get much run off the bench. And I think he's going to be, as the senior leader who's been at Duke for four years, he's going to mm-hmm. he's going to get some pretty significant run and trust. Yeah, and so talk, yeah, and talking about leaders, you know, we, we, we got to assume that it's going to be Wendell and Joey as the captains, maybe Theo as well, easy. Yeah, I would think so. I, I I think that's about right. I think uh, Joe Jangles and Joey Buckets of Chicken. I think. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, all season. Joey, Joey, Joey three piece, maybe? I'm, all I'm, season, man. I mean, if he's yeah, hitting threes, we'll, we'll call we'll him Joey three piece. Yeah, yeah. But no, I think. Um, I think his, obviously, his first three years, he, you know, he's, he's there as a specialist. You know, we had situational dependent. Do we need a shooter right now? Can Joey come and space the floor? I think that's what we saw his sophomore years when he kind of made a good leap for himself more efficient from the three everything else and 
he was able to be played more often in those types of games and those types of roles. And then the end of the season tailed off and, you know, that everything happened in that season, whatever. But as a senior, as someone who's been through it, you expect more and someone that we think is going to be a team captain, you expect more. And if he's someone that can see the floor a little more often, come in for Jeremy and, you know, keep, you know, let Jeremy play 20, 25 minutes a game, as opposed to having to play 30 you know, get Wendell out of the game and, you know, Wendell playing 20 minutes a game instead of having to play 30. I think that's good for this team when he and Trevor can come in for guys like that and and do those types of things and get them off the floor and bring in someone else who does have a really good skill set. And, and that's something that this team would really thrive with. And I, I think with the style of play, with the way Paolo is going to be able to pass out of double teams and from the high post, I mean, Joey, Joey can eat this season, man. He can, he can legit, he can eat all the Bojangles he wants this season, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, I mean, like, that's right. No, you guys making me about. hungry. <laughs> oh, damn. Sure. I, I gotta stop talking about Bojangles here. Yeah, yeah, but uh, um, I gotta drive no, six man, hours think... just to get some chicken. <laughs> oh man, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, he's all... gonna he's gonna do that work this year, though. I think he's gonna do that work this year. Uh, all right, let's, I gotta move away from the chicken. Um, okay, so real quick before we move on to the newcomers, um, specifically freshmen though, I do want to c- uh, consider Theo John a returning player just from the standpoint that I feel like we know exactly what his defined role is going to be. Sure. Um, you know, Jack kind of touched on it uh, earlier. AC, real quick, you know, thirty seconds. Give me what your expectations are for Theo. Five to ten minutes a game. I think he's going to spell Mark if Mark gets in foul trouble. If Mark's not performing, he'll come in, play that good defense. But I don't know that he's going to be somebody who's going to play all the time. And I don't know that we need him to play all the time. I think that's the whole point is that he was brought in for those special moments. You know, these in college and with Kay particularly, players come in who, are, who have a specialty and they perform that specialty for a few minutes to get the team back on track or to change the momentum or to keep the momentum going or whatever else. And I think that's going to be Theo this year. I, with the injury history and everything else, you know, ten, five to 10 minutes a game is all I can expect out of him. If he gives us more cool or whatever, but I, I, if he's given us more than that, I think that means Mark is underperforming. So uh, I'm looking at five to 10 minutes a game and he's going to be a, a great locker room leader to kind of keep all that stuff together. All right. So switching gears now over to the freshman. Uh, again, you know, Duke brings in, you know, one of the greatest classes in the history of classes, as usual. Um, and, and, you know, obviously that all starts with Jalen Blake. So, um, you know, we're, we're you got to start, start with uh, the bottom. Started from the bottom, now we're right. here. Yeah, now we're here. Um, but honestly, guys, you know, uh, you know, this kid, I, you know, he came in, he was a really late three-star guy uh, that, you know, nobody has any expectation for. Comes out of Blair Academy. He has tremendous length pause. He, you know, his quickness, he's a dog on defense. Mm-hmm. This kid's going to play, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is. He's going to play. He he would have been, number one, he would have been higher than a three-star if they had a summer. He And if he played on an AAU team even. Uh, he's one of those guys that if he was being recruited in 2004 or 2005, he would, probably would have been a five-star player, quite honestly, because that's back when comp, 6-2 combo guards were highly coveted. So yeah, he's he's... Like you said, six ten wingspan for somebody who's six two is out. It's outstanding. It's it's ridiculous even, and uh, you know he's he's one of those guys. I think maybe he's not the type of guy who's going to take over a game for us, but he's one of those like walk on type guys. Not walk on, but like one of those late recruits or whatever that you can absolutely see helping us win a game. 
a la, you know, like Jordan Goldwire helping us win that Louisville comeback, right? Like, I can absolutely see Jalen doing something like that. And the one thing I love about Jalen Blakes is that he is not Tyler Thornton. He is not Jordan Goldwire. I see a lot of Duke fans compare that because he was a lower-ranked recruit. He is a guy who comes in with an absolute skill set and an absolute dog skill set of being able to score. Like, Goldwire came in. You didn't know what he was going to give you. You just knew that he was somebody who would just get in somebody's face and didn't really care. Tyler Thornton was one of those guys up here in the D.C. area who could come in and kind of facilitate an offense. And, he again, kind of like that bulldog type of little dude or whatever. But that's – Jalen is – he's an absolute beast of a scorer who can shoot the ball, who can get the ball to the rack. And we're going to see flashes of that this year. I don't think we're going to see it on a regular basis, but we're absolutely going to see flashes of that. Yeah, he's not a guy that we're going to – anything he's going to give us, he's kind of going to be gravy. And mm-hmm. he's going to take a lot of people by surprise. Jack, I'll give you an easier one, though. Trevor Keels, here's a guy who's a big-time recruit, uh, also coming out of Paul the since we talked about. Uh, what are your expectations from Trevor Keels? Because, you know, after I saw that team photo, I thought that he had been going to Bo Jackals quite a bit. Uh, but then but, th- but then oh, Kay had come, but, but then but then Kay came out and said he was singing his praises. So, um, you know, what are our expectations for, uh, for Trevor Keels? Keels is a big boy. Uh, he's a shooter. He's a shooter. Like first and foremost, that's that's my understanding with Trevor Keels. He is a shooter. He's a he's a combo guard more more the two than anything else. That's that's my expectation at least. But this is a guy who he can shoot the ball. I expect to see him do some like post ups if he gets switched on to maybe a smaller PG. I expect to see post ups because like you said, this guy this is a thick dude. Like he's he's got Zion levels of bulk in, oh. in like in like musk like I guess relative to his size. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's muscular. He's he's got a lot. He's got a wide frame, mm-hmm. and he's he's filled it out pretty well. I I expect to see some like think like Kyrie le- like Kyrie type backdowns, but a much bigger and stronger dude. Yeah, that's that's what I expect out of Keels. Things like that. He's gonna be the sixth man. Play twenty to twenty five minutes a game is my best guess. Uh, maybe a little less than that, honestly. Knowing K and how he plays his bench, but. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be a guy who can shoot. I don't think he's a finished product. I don't think he's a one one and done player. Mm-mm. But I think he's gonna be a pretty significant, pretty significant piece of the team. Yeah, and if if we have some you know college basketball aficionados out there, or even Lakers fans, I guess the guy I always compare him to is uh, Taylor Horton Tucker. Oh, and that's a good one. I, I think it's very similar in terms of the body type, the t- the style of play, the attitude. The guy's an asshole. <laughs> like he's an asshole <laughs> on the court. Bottom line. But that's what we need, man. We need guys who are going to come out and not take anything from the other team and just and just absolutely go out there and dog them. And that's the type of guy that he is, man. At Paul the Six, he did that night in and night out. He was that guy who was in somebody's face, in a, you know, in, in a constructive way, not just like out there, like you know messing around or whatever he was you know he was an alpha alpha on the court and that's big for this team especially coming off the season we had last year that's big for this team and and for a guy to be able to come off the bench and do that even better so absolutely i'm with you that's that's what i expect one thing about you know the taylor horton ducker comparison like he shot 31 percent from three his freshman year in college like trevor's gonna be you know six or seven percentage points higher than that at least i hope so yeah yeah yeah, I mean, if, if if he's doing that, then that's huge to to open up the space, uh, especially for guys like AJ Griffin. Um, speaking mm-hmm. of speaking of underrated shooters, this mm-hmm. guy is going mm-hmm. to surprise a lot of people, especially oh my that. Goodness. But by the way, you know what his like, his step back three? Oh my he god! Step, he steps back about three feet behind the college <laughs> line, 
and dreams it. Like people are think he's a phenomenal athlete. He's just a man. He's just a yeah. man is what he is. But he can step back and knock down threes. AC, tell us about his game and tell us about your expectations for him. Because honestly, I think everybody kind of knows our next freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people are really sleeping on AJ at this point. What are your expectations for him? I think so. I think you could be saw the the falling in the rankings and everything else because he wasn't playing because he was injured and all that. Like I, I number one, I expect this to be one of the top three picks in the NBA draft next year. I, I think that's his ceiling is that. And I don't know that he can get above Paolo just because of Paolo's size and I think the season he's gonna have. But I think AJ is gonna be right there in consideration for that, you know, in that top one, two, three pick between Chet, Paolo, and himself. He is he's a six seven just wonder kid, man. Number one, he's young. He's the youngest player in the team by far. He just turned 18. So and he already looks like the most developed man on the entire team, not named Theo John. Maybe uh maybe Mr. Softy needs to Photoshop some of his muscles on, you know what I mean? But <laughs> <laughs> but he's he he's a he's he's a freak athlete. And if we get if we get an, a healthy AJ Griffin, we get somebody who absolutely can be a first team all American. I am not exaggerating when I say that, but because of his skill set, because of the way he gets to the basket. Honestly, his finishing around the rim is probably his weakest attribute, and he's he's top notch in that in that regard, man. He's elite in high school for that regard too. So he knows how to use his body. He uses angles exceptionally well. He does this thing that I absolutely love, which he's a right-handed player, but he dribbles and sets his shots up with his left hand. And that is so difficult to guard because you think you're you feel like you're guarding a left-handed player. And then he's shooting with the right hand. And by dribbling to that left side using the right hand, that puts you in so many good angles to get really good shots off, including his floater, man. His floater is amazing. So this is a dude who scores three levels. He defends like crazy. His motor is going to be off the charts. And like I said, if he's if he's fully healthy, everything's good to go with him this season, man. I, there's no doubt in my mind that he's, he's a top three pick and he's going to play that way. Now, I got to ask yeah. really quick. Oh. Really quick. I just got to ask. Mike Dunleavy, do you think that's a decent offensive? I know defensive, he's, he's leaps and bounds ahead, but you think Dunleavy's a decent offensive comparison to him? It's not bad, but AJ uses – he uses his athleticism more, but in, like, a constructive way. Like, he is – like, Dunleavy was so skilled with his handle, and, and he was savvy. Like, he wasn't the most athletic guy, but he, he could use his size, the length that he had, 6'10", as a guard. He could use that to his advantage. AJ's a little shorter than him, obviously – but just the way he between him using his strength to get his angles and his his lines, but then also being able to manipulate the ball and do some of the things he does, man, it's it's so unique what he does. And there's there's not a lot of I don't I don't know there's a lot of good even college comparisons for him. I think you got to look at like the pro ranks and say like a Demar Derozan type of guy for him. But he shoots a three better than Demar. You know what I mean? So it's like I don't know, man. <laughs> like he's that's why I, that's why I look at him so high as an NBA prospect because there's really not a lot out there like him. Is he going to get the the touches that he needs for to, for him to showcase what he can do on a regular basis? If if we're going to win a national title, he's going to have to. If, okay. if he's he's going to have to be our second leading scorer, and I think that's I think that's really important. I, I don't we can't if if we're going to throw the ball down low to Mark from the high low and everything with Paolo, I think that's going to slow us down more than we want to be slowed. I think this team's going to want to play fast, especially with the shooters that we can offer. And, and and I think I think AJ has to be that second leading score. If not, you know, I don't I can't see him being the leading score, but he definitely has to be that second leading score for us. Yeah. Um and, and so Jack, you know, take it away here. Paolo Bancaro, um, we kind of expect him to be the number one 
uh, pick in the draft Oof. next year. But but this but this season, but this Oof. season, he's a guy. He's a no. He's a guy that should win the ACC Rookie of the Year. That that's without question. He's a guy that probably should win the ACC Player of the Year and be a first team All American. I don't think that those are unrealistic expectations for a guy of this caliber, Jack. What are your expectations for Paolo? National player of the year or runner-up, honestly. <laughs> oh, man. This is yeah. a guy, yeah, he's 6'10". You've got to be honest about it. Absolutely. Exactly. Look, he's 6'10", he's 250 pounds. He can shoot, he can handle, he can finish, he can drive, he can distribute. This guy reminds me of Giannis with a jump shot. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way to sugarcoat that. Like, Ben Simmons at LSU, I know he's got all that stuff going on right now. Trust me, I know as a Sixers <laughs> fan, but... But, like, Ben Simmons at LSU, but if he were to, like, willingly shoot the three, that's what I kind of think we're going to get out of Paolo Boncaro. I think this guy is going to be the talk of the town. Um, really, there's no, there's nothing else. I, I don't really even know what to expect, if we're being honest. Yeah, um, this is, this so, is something we've never seen before. It's, he's generational. He's truly, if you look up, gener- you, you, they call people generational athletes and talents all the time. Like Zion was generational, like, but and then, you know, two years later, you have another. You can't have another generational talent two years later, but yeah, truly, like you're looking at a generational talent. So, yeah, AC, yeah. I, I want to ask you a question. You know, coming from Kay's press conference yesterday, you know, he was talking about how you know Paolo's gonna have to kind of learn, you know, mm-hmm. how to play in this arena. Um, mm-hmm. What does he mean by that? You know, is it you know learning to play with guys the caliber that he has now, or is it? A faster system. What is it? Is it you know learning to trust these guys more? What, what is what was Kay kind of referring to uh, in, in your mind? If if summer scrimmages offer any kind of information, which I really doubt that they do, but in the summer he was he was passing up a lot of shots and not taking. He, he wasn't being strong. I, I think that's what Kay Kay said in that press conference at one point that he's got a lot of learning to do to be the player that he expects him to be and. I can't imagine Kay doesn't expect him to be anything other than a national player of the year. And so if Paolo's yeah. going to do that, he is going to have to be very assertive and, and take really good and efficient shots. And I know he can do that. And we've seen him, we've seen him in, you know, summer ball and things be able to do that, but this is a totally different animal and teams are going to game plan against this guy hardcore. So is he going to be able to fight against a game plan? Is he going to be able to play against a game plan? and still do the things that he does to help the team out. Because he helps the team out by being him, by scoring, by scoring at all three levels, by being that alpha dog and alpha dog leader on the court in terms of his talent. That's that's how he's going to help the team. He's not going to help the team by passing the ball up to everybody else. Eventually, he'll be able to do that because then they're going to key on him. So then the rest of the guys have to come in and be able to do their thing. But for us to be the team we need to be, Paolo needs to be the best player in America. He truly does. And he needs to be the most assertive player in America. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, again, we're only talking after, you know, day two of practice here. Um, but I think expectations, rightly so, for him are going to be high. And speaking of high expectations, we're bringing in two of the most elite Duke basketball program guys that you're ever mm-hmm. going to find on the internet. Uh, Brian McElhorn and Clinton Jackson. Uh, they just started a, a brand new site called BullCityHoops.substat.com. Uh, if you are interested in the most, well, AC, what would you say, the best intel for Duke mm-hmm. recruiting? Absolutely. Click, 
Absolutely. Uh, so if you're interested in Duke recruiting, Intel, you want to go ahead to go to Bull City Hoops. Uh, Brian has been plugged into the program. He was there on press day, you know, asking questions of, of the staff and of the players. So he's going to have a lot of insight. So let's go ahead and bring these two on. Brian, look, they've been doing it for a couple of decades mm-hmm. now. That this is going to be Duke basketball and Duke basketball recruiting pretty much only. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Clint and I over the years have have known that where we connect with our listeners, our readers, and you know anybody that's interested in Duke basketball or Duke athletics is through the basketball team, whether it's recruiting or team coverage. So um, this is something we've wanted to do for a while. Uh, you know, nothing against football. I, lo- I love football. I've loved my time covering Duke football, but you know where we really resonate with uh, with the Duke fans is when we talk basketball. So we decided Bull City Hoops needed to be uh, about basketball and basketball only. So that's that's what we're going to try to give you guys, and hopefully uh, we'll give you as, as good a quality content as we possibly can. Well, it's just knowing, knowing you guys over the last, you know, God, it's over 10 years now. Um, you know, Brian, you cover, you know, the Duke program better than anybody. And then Clint, you know, bring you in here. Uh, your focus has always been uh, with the way that you have, you know, covered Duke recruiting. Um, I know that you did a little UNC uh, coverage as well for recruiting, but uh, we're happy to have you on our side. Um, Clint, you know, let's start at the top, though. Uh, we didn't really pick a, a, a much of a drop-off when we, you know, kind of handed the reins over to, uh, to John Shire. Just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, how hot the Duke brand is right now with, uh, with Shire at the helm. You set me up beautifully there. John Shire is on fire. Um, you know, I... <laughs> You know, I've been covering Duke basketball recruiting for over 20 years, and I don't know that I've ever seen a run like this, even with, with, with Kay in charge. I mean, this has been incredible to bring in the guys he's bringing in, the five-star guys, the complimentary players. I just think he's, he's closing literally everything right now. These, you can tell how good he's in with some of these recruits by the fact that the net is not expanding. You know, Duke's got some pretty, pretty – um, some pretty good tells when they when they lose confidence in a the kid. There's certain things they do. Mm-hmm. They expand the net. They uh, they start visiting other recruits, and he's just stayed locked and loaded on you know these guys like Jaden Shoot and Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively and then Derek Whitehead and all those guys. He's just pretty much stayed radar locked on those guys and and the confidence that that we're hearing he has with you know even some of the rest of the guys. It's just it's just he's on top of the world right now. Yeah, and that's got to feel good for those recruits, I think, too. What have you picked up in interviews with recruits and things about John Shire that makes you know makes him so you know so down to earth and and these kids can connect with him so well? Well, he's likable. He's still young. What is he? Thirty three, mm-hmm. thirty four years old. Um, his staff right. is young. Uh, everybody on the staff has charisma, and there's just they they believe in what they're selling, and you know the. You know, name, image, and likeness has definitely helped with Duke's uh, social media reach and their connections. Uh, so I, I think that they've got a, a lot to sell right now, and, and and pretty much they're they're picking and choosing. They're not recruiting these kids. Are you know these kids? I think a lot of them feel fortunate to be recruited by by Duke, and and you know he's he's showing he's showing it by closing them. For sure. Uh, have you have you heard anything through the grapevine about how? about how John's constructing the roster. I mean, obviously we can see it with how he's recruiting, but is obviously that's kind of by design, but is, has that, has that been a focus on the recruiting trail to these guys about, Hey, this is how I'm going to, you know, how I'm going to make the team happen. Um, maybe not in those words, but like, you know, I know he wants to bring in a class of six for this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it may end up being five. You know, it could be an end up being six, but it might end up being five. Um, I just think he's getting the right culture pieces. I've heard that word through the grapevine a couple of times, like he wants the right culture pieces, you know, kids that are uh, going to buy into the, the system. And there's been some kids mm-hmm. who haven't bought it in the past few years. I don't think we need to name those names. I think we kind of know who they are. But, <laughs> right. you, know, I, you know, these kids, they want kids that buy into the program. They want them to stay, you know, a year or two, whatever they need to develop. Some of these kids are obviously going to be one and done, but some of them are going to be program players. I think we saw from – 2015 that if you have the right mix of the one and done five-star kids and some veterans and they buy in and they build that chemistry that's that's what duke's looking for again that's awesome and brian i know you were uh you were at the media day and i know one of the questions that came up was about the nil what have you noticed out here on the trail and with these kids maybe not even just with duke but how how savvy are kids in terms of knowing their potential with the nil and then going to the right school to, to really realize that potential. Yeah, I mean, I think they're really aware. Uh, a lot of the guys, I mean, it, it's a learning process for the, the younger guys. You know, when you look at maybe juniors in high school, you know, right now nobody really knows how to advise them on these topics. And to speak on Duke specifically, I think Duke really had a, a good head start in this regard, not necessarily through advising players, but when you look at how the program itself, particularly with the social media platforms, the Duke Blue Planet magazine, these guys have been ahead of the game for years now in promoting the program. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I think they saw this coming, so they were able to set it up. So, play, so these recruits see this. These kids see an opportunity when you've got 3 million followers on your Instagram page and you know the reach that that has. They're smart enough to know. I mean, Duke's not recruiting dummies, you know. I mean, these right, guys right. Under, understand and understand really the value of the Duke brand, and we're seeing it right now. Paolo Banchero, uh, for example, signing mm-hmm. with Panini cards. Right. I mean, that's. If, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first college player to do that. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what other brands really offer that potential. I mean, certainly there are other brands, Kentucky, of course, Kansas, to a to a lesser degree now just based on all the things that have gone down over the last several years with them. But uh, UNC, I mean, these these schools have the brands, and players are looking at that. They'll, they'll not necessarily tell myself or Clint necessarily how much that plays a part in it, but they will say that it's important. Um mm-hmm. And you know, for for Duke recruits, man, when you can when you can say, look, we're going to put you in front of all these these uh, national brands, uh, you 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 got a good chance. And I think the way Duke does it too is pretty smart. Coach K is, of course, is offering advice, but he's like, this is you, this is your thing. You guys need to to. It's a private matter. We don't need to be putting our hand in the pot or trying to advise you one specific way or gear you toward a specific direction with a specific brand or how much you should take or whatever it may be. You know, he's letting these guys handle it and have the people they trust around them advise them while at the same time Duke compliance, the coaching staff are there to, to offer their opinions if they want it. So I think that resonates how they're approaching it to these kids too. I mean, it's, it's not this forced down their throat kind of thing saying, well, we're going to mm-hmm. watch over your shoulders every time you, you you get a message from someone from a Bojangles like Wendell Moore did, you know, or whatever it may be. Right. I think it plays a big, I mean, it's a big advantage for Duke basketball, probably more so than most schools out there. Yeah. I mean, I would think so. We've seen that Duke has, you know, it was something like, 
you know, one, one point some million followers and the next closest was like 400,000. So it's like, <laughs> like clearly they've, they've put work into this over, you know, probably for the last decade or so. Have you seen, uh, Brian, I'll ask you this question and Clint, I got to follow up for you. Uh, Brian, have you seen Duke or not a, a recruiting battle right now that has come down to an NIL decision? No, I, you know, I have not, um, you know, whether one has and it's been a, a private affair, I mean, I'm sure that's mm-hmm. a possibility, but I haven't seen anything. No, no kid has really expressed that to me. I don't okay. know if that's been the case for Clint, but I, I certainly, I think it might be a little early for that. I think that's coming gotcha. maybe in the next couple of years, but I think we might be a little early for those types of battles. Yeah, I would say I agree with what Brian's saying. I, I think yeah. that there's a way with what Banchero was putting out there with uh, – uh, you know, his deal with the, the gaming and then the panini, which all these years I thought was a sandwich, and evidently it's not. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think that, uh, you know, by Banchero announcing his deals, it's changing the game. So, you know, the most powerful recruiting pitch is, is somebody that you're already showing, you know, hey, this is what we're doing. These are the kind of things that are happening for our guys. And Banchero and, to some extent, guys like Chet Holmgren, they're the faces of college basketball this year. So these are the guys oh, – yeah that their body of work is going to show to the next group of guys. So, you know, with what Banchero is doing this year and the next year, guys like, you know, Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively and Filipowski, what they're going to do next year, that's going to, that's going to start to be the new recruiting pitch. So I think we need a year for it to develop, to develop and see. And I think that, you know, these schools like Kentucky, Carolina, UCLA, these big market schools, Indiana, they're going to have to step up and compete in those arenas if they're going to win these top kids away from Duke right now. Gotcha. All right, Clint. So here's so a question, big question for you. I know Duke fans want to know about this and hear about this. With Derek Lively, what happened on that switch with you know coming down to the the witching hour, the final hour for his his commitment announcement, and all signs pointed to Kentucky, and you know Duke Twitter was all over. We we even kind of bought into it too. With you know if if it's an early decision, then it's probably not Duke because he's got to wait to see what happens with Mark Williams and everything else. Do you have any insight as to what, you know, kind of what changed your confidence level and, and kind of what you saw, you know, kind of working in the in the tea leaves there for Derek Lively to come to Duke versus Kentucky? Well, I think they will. I, I, I'm not sure that I would agree with uh, Kentucky was the big leader before that. I think that, okay. was, that was assumed by a lot in the industry. I'm not saying I had some sort of crystal ball that told me that he was going to Duke, but I think where Duke won him over was the visit. I did talk to somebody kind of off the record, and I told him I wouldn't put their quotes on the record. But he said to me, something he saw on the Duke visit showed him all he needed to say. I'm misquoting him there, but he said something like that. And I told sure. Brian, you know, on the back end, I was like, hey, this this, this kid, I, I think I think he's going to Duke. And then one of the recruits sent me a text message that kind of led me to believe it, and I sent that to Brian too. So we kind of <laughs> saw – we kind of saw some things changing over the last couple of days. We never confirmed it. We never mm-hmm. got someone to tell us. I'm one of those guys. I don't stick my neck out until I have it. Yeah. You know, I can go out there and say, Hey, I'm leaning this way. or I'm leaning that way. I don't like to do that because I don't like to miss Brian knows this about me. So, you know, I don't really put it out there until I know it for 100%. I sort of felt, you know, I think the last few days, Brian and I were talking and texting and we do that a lot when, uh, kids are coming down their decision. I said, I'm 80% sure it's Duke. I think yeah, that yeah. was the last, that was the last prediction I gave Brian maybe two or three days before the decision, but I never got it from anybody in, uh, you know, anybody well-placed that, Hey, it's Duke, keep it quiet. I didn't get that. Oh. I just said, 
I, I just kind of put together the tea leaves as as you said. Tea right, leaves right. Are, are definitely what I what I definitely pay a lot of attention to. I hear this, I hear that, I put it all together, kind of like an investigative reporter, and then I just sort of say how I feel. But unless I have it for sure, like somebody sends me a, a text message of Mariano Rivera, who is well-placed, mm-hmm. I'm not going to stick my neck out too far. But I think uh, Duke definitely showed him something on his visit and convinced him that that was the right place for him. I got you. Hey, and I want to I interject on that just for a moment, too. I think – and this is just speculation on my part, but and this isn't specifically Derek Lively related, but if you look from the national scene – and all these other – the people that are covering recruiting and that are sticking their necks out talking about where this player is going to go or that player, you know, nobody really know, knew going in what John Shire could do. And I think people mm-hmm. were expecting a letdown to a degree. Right. And, and to think that, you know, it's Kentucky and Duke head-to-head, there's no way John Shire comes out on top over Cal. So I think there's an element to that that plays into the, you know, this, this belief that Kentucky was the, the dead ring ringer for, for lively up until the last moment. So you know, that's spec, speculation to me, but when you look at, look at it from a grand scheme of things and just looking at the past and the history of how recruiting's worked, I think people really thought there was going to be a massive drop-off from Coach K being on the road to John Shire, and he's proving that he's up to the challenge. Yeah, man. I, I, and I, I've noticed the same thing, and I, I just I love it. I love, you know, obviously you have, as a Duke fan, you have to love what Shire's been able to put together you know, a year and a half before he even takes over the reins almost. So that, you know, that's been a, that's been a big deal. So now, now I got to put you guys on the spot. (laughs) Now I gotta, now we got to do the fun thing and put you guys on the spot. I always loved the confidence meter used to have Clint. And I want to, I want to get, I want to get some, some confidence out of you on some of these recruits that we have coming up in this class and the next talking about John Shire and his hot streak. All right. So just mm-hmm. from zero to 10, if you got a number out there, throw it out there for me, all right? We want to hear about it. So I'm going to start right off the bat. We just had a visit with J.J. Starling, all right? After that visit, where's your confidence right now? Clint first and then Brian. Uh, for me, I think with Starling, I've heard some some rumblings. I have not spoken to him. Uh, I have spoken to Starling before. Mm-hmm. Um, I did shoot him a text after the visit, which he didn't respond to. But just some of the rumblings coming out, um, I've lost confidence in J.J. Starling and Duke. So you want a number? I guess I, guess, yeah, I, guess I give it a five. Oh, I don't yeah. like it. What do you got, Brian? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I'm kind of on the, the same wavelength there with Clint. I, you know, I, I spoke to Phil Palski last week, and mm-hmm. at that time, if you had have asked me then, I probably would have thrown a seven or eight at you with J.J. Starling. Oof. But now I'm I'm feeling a little more – toward that five and and i will say though i have texted with a few people today that still are competent okay. but cautiously competent so okay. i'm i'm gonna say at five that's that's i know that's a cheap way out because that gives me the 50 50 but that's about as good as i can give you right now all right all right so jj's down all right oh, i don't like it let's go uh let's go mark mitchell um i will say I'd say a seven or an eight for Mark Mitchell. Every everything I've heard has been has been good there. They haven't expanded their net. I know mm-hmm. uh, Derek Lively, Jaden Shoot, and Kyle Filipowski are recruiting the heck out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I think that I think he could surprise he could surprise people. I mean, you you, you think his uh, his position would maybe over overlap a little bit with Derek Whitehead, but mm-hmm. you know I think if 
if you've shown anything, Duke's shown you can play players of similar position, put them on the court together, use them in different ways, and spread the court and let everybody go, let everybody go to work. And like they did with R.J. Barrett, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, and Cam Reddish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way they did with Mark, you know, Bagley and, and Wendell Carter. Yep. Yeah, so I'm thinking like around round of eight because, you know, to speak to what Clint was just talking about, you know, Whitehead being a guy that I think could play that too in that scenario when you, if you bring Mark Mitchell in. But, you know, everyone we've talked to, or at least I have, and like Clint was saying, is, it seems to be confident. And then you've got the October 15th visit uh, for Countdown to Craziness. And, I, I mean, I know – Countdown for them isn't like that game atmosphere experience, but it is mm-hmm. a chance to really kind of get to be around other guys and get that feel. So I, that could be the defining moment for him and maybe end things pretty quickly for him. I mean, that's just kind of my, my gut. All right. I'm going to have to jump here and say that Tyler Simpson, our third member of our staff, may have a better read on that than both of us. We've got to find a way to get him in here too then. Yeah, he's from the area, so I think he's probably a little bit more plugged in on that kid than than either Brian and I are. I bet. All right, now we're going to move to 23 with a couple of these recruits that we have in 23 that Duke fans are kind of looking uh, forward to. How about Mac uh, Mac Mbaco? Well, the big question is how you pronounce his name. So, um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) I have not not seen the kid. I have not talked to the kid. Um, okay. I know Duke really likes him, but he's got a he's got a ton of schools on him. So I, I've got a lot more intel sniffing out to do on there. I don't even feel comfortable giving you a number at this point, but I know <laughs> right, Duke. Right. I know Duke. I know Duke really likes him. I know. Okay. I know. There's a lot of people that are feel strongly about Duke in that picture, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I just I I can't speak to it too much. I have heard, uh, aside from just analysts, but I have heard rumblings of people being pretty confident with him. So, but I can't give you a number either. I got you. All right, I'll save us some time and trouble then. Is there anybody in 23 that you think that Duke's looking at that you know that they've offered or whatever else that you think, all right, this guy might be might be moving towards being one of those guys that Shire can kind of zone himself in on? Feel pretty good about Caleb Foster. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously, right? <laughs> obviously. I think that was a brilliant move to lock up Caleb Foster because, one, I don't know if you guys have watched video on him, but he's a pass-first point guard. Absolutely. He is a... He is a Kendall Marshall type with a jump shot. So yeah. I think that when you build him as the, you know, the first piece, that's going to attract a lot of other cats. And, you know, these guys go watch and play at NBA Top 100 Camp and EYBL and, and these events, hopefully, that we start having again like we used to. They're going to see a guy, and they're going to want to play with him. I think that was a brilliant move to lock him up early because he is a guy who's going to get you the ball. And all these guys, these wings and these hybrid forwards and these big men, they want a point guard who's going to get on the ball. They don't want to play with a gunner. I like that. And then there's, like recent, that. there's recent history with that, too. You don't have to look too far back to, to see what they did with Trey Jones. I mean, mm-hmm. he, was, he was that guy. And right. he, he was that attention grabber for the other players. And I think they absolutely saw that with Caleb Foster. I like that a lot. So I'll switch gears then with this 23 class, because that's going to be the first class that can actually apply for the NBA draft again. Do you know of any guys kind of right off the bat, or maybe you have an inclination of maybe a number of guys in this class that you think may may end up taking that pro route as opposed to you know heading to college? Yeah, a lot. Of, I got a lot of work to do in that arena, and okay. Duke will definitely do a pretty good job of sniffing those out. Those guys mm-hmm. that like, hey, what operations? There are people out there that make money and do this for a living now, and. Mm-hmm. 
they what they do is they make contact with the family. They learn about their 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 wants, their desires, their needs, and they're able to connect those people to to the right people. So if it's a you know NBA route, or if it's you know college for one year, or if it's going overseas, I think the NIL has been a game changer for college because if somebody needs money and they don't want to wait a year or two to get it, and they're not interested in school, you know, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, a one and done kid doesn't really need to be interested in school. Um, sure. cause you, you know, you're there for what one semester, maybe two, but uh-huh. you know, it's, you're, you're, you're competing on a level playing field and somebody can go to a Duke or Kentucky or a Carolina or Kansas, UCLA and make as much money with NIL as they, as they, they might, you know, overseas playing for a year. So that it's sort of even the playing field now. And I think with, with those big schools, you get just as much exposure and you play against the best players and you play in front of the biggest crowds and you're on the biggest stage. So, um, you know, I think NIL has helped college basketball, you know, kind of kind of pull back even with, you know, the pro route. Absolutely. And you you hate that it took them this this long to get to this point. But guys, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on with us on our first first show of the season. And obviously, obviously, we're going to get you guys back, especially once we start getting more into that 23 class. We're obviously getting you guys back on here. We We, we love having you on. We've loved the time we spent with you in the past and everything. You guys are great. At what you do, Brian. If you uh, would please give us one more plug for your site, man. Yeah, man. Bull City Hoops. Uh, it's a uh, part of Substack Network. So just check us out, man. We'll be uh, be pushing out content. Sign up with your email. That way you don't miss any updates, and uh, we'll keep you up to tabs on it. So Bull City Hoops. Find it on Substack. Awesome, guys. Thank you for coming on. We've loved having you. Like I said, we gotta get you back on here, man. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. We appreciate you. All right, take care. And and that was awesome, AC. Uh, I know you guys have you guys have a rapport. Um, so awesome talk about uh, kind of like the next few classes. But uh, we did want to wrap up the show with um, my favorite player, uh, just retired, uh, JJ Redick. Uh, n- nothing else has to be said. Uh, I went to a number of his games. I was at that Texas game where he dropped forty-one and was going completely nuts. Uh, Jack, I believe that that you were there as well. That is the first Duke game that I can clearly that's remember. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good one to, uh, to to get you uh, entrenched in the uh, in the Duke more. Um, you know, he he. This just you know, my favorite player growing up was uh, was always Trajan Linden uh, until JJ came around. Um, you know, we're, we're the same age. Uh, he basically lived out my dream in front of me. Uh, it was just a guy that you know he got everybody's best shot. He took his absolute shit from the fans and and he was able to withstand it and and he thrived on it um you know we'll go through our our top jj moments but uh ac you know you knew him you played against him uh you talked about how he talked about how it wasn't a whole lot of fun for you but you know talk talk about jj right up in your in your opinion i i mean he's he's one of the best college basketball players we'll ever see in our lives. And he did something that even Duke fans were like, I don't know that he can do this. He went into the pros and had an incredible career, man. Like, uh, you know, not everybody's going to be LeBron. Not everybody's going to be D-Wade, those types of guys. Like, some guys have to be, you know, 15 to 20-year players who just have a long career, and he did that, man. And I, I think people see the value in that because I've seen nothing but love for JJ on on the Twitter space and things now, man. And, and I, th- I think that speaks highly to – the player he became, he worked hard to do that. You know, he wasn't just, he wasn't just amazing coming in. Like he had, he had work to do. He had to 
he had to leap the hurdle, the big fat hurdle that is Stan Van Gundy. Like he had to do a lot of things, man, to to get to where he where he was, and just you know to to Twice. see him to see him as an eighth grader and play against him as an eighth grader and see a dude that you're like, this is totally different. I don't know what this is, but that's not me. So let me let me let me learn how to flip burgers or something, right? But um, <laughs> to to experience that and then see him do the things that he did, man, it was like, like you said, it's almost like living out your own personal dream. That's truly what it was like. It was yeah. like, it was like, wow, like, okay, that's 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 incredible. Yeah, and uh, you know, for me, um, you know, I I was so fortunate to uh, to be able to see so many of his milestones, especially his senior year. Um, you know, I was at the Temple game when he you know set the ACC scoring record. Um, you know, I was. Like I said, I was at that Texas game when when he just went nuts. Uh, and and Jack, I don't know where you were sitting, but I was in that Duke section behind the bench. You know, you know, probably like ten or twelve rows up. And um, I still remember when you know he was so hot in, in in the second half. He was hot the entire game, but really hot in the second half, and he was jawing yeah. back and forth. And there was one player right in front of the Duke bench when he gives his massive pump fake. The guy goes flying. He drains the three, and the entire Duke section, the entire arena. I mean, just went freaking nuts. It was like one of more, like, it was as a, just a pure fan, one of those moments where it's like, that is like your guy doing the incredible right in front of you, and there's just nothing like it in the world. Yeah, I, I was sitting, I was sitting a little further up than that, um, toward the back of the, uh, the lower level, the Izod Center, and I just, I just remember everything the entire night. I just hear people saying JJ Reddick, JJ Reddick. Like I'm like JJ yeah. Reddick. This guy's <laughs> doing good. Like I barely. I was five <laughs> years old. I didn't know a thing about basketball, man. I just knew oh, that I, I liked Duke and JJ Reddick was doing good. I was actually the the next game I went to was that Temple game also because like I I'm from Philly. We were we were going to the game and I remember people saying JJ Reddick's going to set the record like a record this game. Those two games are like the basis of my entire identity as a Duke fan. Like JJ Redick. Like you guys laugh at that. Like I, I'm much I'm I'm much younger. JJ was yeah, that's awesome though. JJ's pro mm-hmm. career is the entirety of like my conscious life. I remember him mm-hmm. I remember him at Duke, like his senior year. I remember that pretty pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. But like JJ's been in the NBA, he was on he was on my Sixers for a few years, and that like probably two of his best years of his career. This is a guy yeah. who, like you guys have said, he was hated. He was about to fall out of the league, but he put the work in. He stayed. He was a starter on a Finals team just a few years into his career. After, yep. like he was on the verge of being cut, he turned that around. He he was a starter on multiple contenders. He um. You know, he with the Lob City Clippers. He was mm-hmm. an integral part of that team. He was yep. with uh, him and Joel Embiid formed literally the most efficient like duo in NBA history in terms of scoring. Yep. Um, JJ is a guy who really you've you've seen it all from him. The most dominant player in college basketball history, arguably, turned into like a really respectable role player who was well liked after being hated by literally everyone. Mm-hmm. for so long it's it's really incredible to see his career and like grow up with it um you know ac for us uh older folks <laughs> i think i think his real coming out party uh in at duke you know because we can talk about the mcdonald's all-american where you know who's in that carmelo uh yeah. you know 
and like he's the MVP. People forget that. Uh, I guess Amari, Amari Stoudemire. Uh, I mean, like all all, co- that, that that game was loaded, man. And, and JJ right up in Madison Square Garden, just mm-hmm. kind of went nuts in the second half, and I think he finished with like twenty six points or something like that. Yep. Uh, and I, those are games that I, I still go back and try to try to go watch. And but I did uh, his coming out party for me at least, uh, and I think for a lot of Duke fans was the ACC final uh, against NC State. Mm-hmm. He didn't have like a great um, ACC tournament to that point, but then in that second half, really the second half of the second half, the guy just goes freaking nuts. If you watch anything as a Duke fan, go back and watch that. Um, you know, NC State uh, ACC tournament championship. That's a good um, game. And, you know, that was so it was so fun to watch. She was going nuts, jumping into Duhan's arms, like mm-hmm. uh, just watching her send that you know hand just go into his uh, hands. Like it was just, I mean, she was Hodge knew it was done. Uh, yep. It was it was just so much fun to watch. But you know, you know, what, what was your? You know, I talked about I can talk about JJ all all night, but um, you know, what were some of your you know most fondest moments? Of, uh, of JJ as a Duke player. I mean, number one, but one of probably my most fond moment was <laughs> was going to the K Spring prom and seeing him just act like a nut the entire night. Man, he was just letting loose because they had just won that state title. He was like, he was hopped up on cocaine and Red Bull all night. I think, man, that dude was insane. But um, I think we should edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't actually. He wasn't actually hopped up on cocaine and Red Bull. I am joking. But no. Um, the the game the game my high school team played against this guy is when I was like really like this dude is that's I had already said like he was something different in eighth grade but then to see it again in high school and just watch him turn flip a switch on because our team decided to put a trash talker on him and just to watch that that switch flip in his head and he just went nuts was incredible and I, I think the beautiful thing about JJ's entire career was that he. Yeah, like you you talked about his coming out party, the ACC final game. I think he had like multiple coming out parties. Quite honestly, like that that was absolutely one. Then I think the the one I posted on Twitter the other day too, the Michigan State game at Duke for the ACC Big Ten Challenge in two thousand five was such a big game for him because that was right after that summer that he kind of you know historically talks about as being like he almost quit basketball and you know Chris Collins and and Wojo and Coach K really you know wrapped their arms around him and really, you know, put, helped him put in the work that season. And you saw the change in his body and his mentality and, you know, even his lifestyle, you saw that huge change and that, that wasn't the first game they played that season, but that was the, really the first game, like first big game they had where he came out and just dominated. He dominated a half Daniel Ewing dominated half. And you were just like, Oh my God, like this dude is like, he's ready to do it, man. He's, he's ready to get his number in the rafters, quite honestly. It was like, you just saw that in that game. And that's, that's always been one of my favorite, favorite Duke games in general, but really one of my favorite JJ Reddick games. Yeah. And there's always one game that I talk about that nobody even remembers. Um, It was a senior year at home against Florida state, went into overtime. Mm -hmm. It was a typical JJ Reddick game where the rest of the team was just watching him. And that was really the downfall of the Achilles heel of that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, as Kay always said, like they got caught JJ watching, uh, and it was hard not to do, mm-hmm. but, you know, I still remember, uh, in overtime, he's hit, he hits a, a shot from the, the right corner. Um, and you know, he is running down the court, Cameron's going absolutely nuts and he's just both hands pounding his chest, running down the other side of the, uh, of the court. 
Um, just being like, I am not letting this team lose this game. It was just like, I'm going to do whatever it is that we are not losing this fucking game. Mm -hmm. And like, it it just was like, to me, like the pure JJ moment where he went from that, you know, fat, you know, (laughs) freshman to (laughs) that was just a great shooter to that all around player and leader and just a legend, uh, not only at Duke, but in ACC and in college basketball more. And that's what I always remember about what, what he turned himself into. Um, you know, he, he just uh, he he had a phenomenal career uh, all the way through high school, through Duke, and, and through the NBA. Uh, hats off to him. And 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 Jack, I'll let you have the last word from the first player you remember. I mean, I'm just I have some numbers pulled up because I'm actually working Let's on do a it, post Jack. for the for Snap the Instagram. That boy. So this guy. He has Duke. He's the only person to score more than 900 points in a season for Duke. He scored 964 his senior year, averaged mm-hmm. just under 30. It's incredible. 27.8 points per game, I believe it was. Yep. That's, and what, that's Jay amazing. Williams, Jay Williams is right after him, right? With like eight. RJ. It's like RJ. That. No, it's RJ. That's right. It's RJ. He's got like <laughs> right. 870 or so. Love but that. like, that's, that's incredible. JJ's did this. JJ also did this in 36 games. Mm-hmm. You got to remember that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. He's he's got three forty point games, which is tied with Dick Grote for the most ever. Uh, he's got the most three pointers made in a career, a season, and a game. Well, he's tied for game with so Shane Battier with nine. He's got so the sick. highest free throw percentage in ACC history for both a season and a career. Mm-hmm. He's also the only player to ever have a free throw percentage above ninety percent for a season in the ACC, and That's it's awesome. his career average. That's awesome. Um, yeah, two-time ACC Player of the Year, Consensus National Player of the Year as a senior. He tied with Adam Morrison for one award, but won every single one of them. Uh, just incredible. Quite possibly the most dominant single season in the history of college basketball, I'm just going to say. I mean, you got to put it up there. You got to put it up there. It, it really, with yeah. The defense, with the way defense is keyed in on him on every single matchup, I mean, are you kidding me? Who else Absolutely. is scoring other than Sheldon Williams on that team? That Lee Malpignoni? I mean, come on. <laughs> that was one of those years you finally thought, because some of the pieces he had around him with Joshua Roberts, some of those guys, you really thought that he he could do it. He could get that win that tournament, man. And like an LSU dude, I hate Big Baby Davis so much in my whole life with my whole heart. I hate Big Baby Davis, the original Armando Baker. Uh, Gosh. Uh, Gosh. Uh, all right. Well, with, with that, uh, we'll sign off. It's been a long show, but it's, it's, uh, we're just getting started. And whatever K Laxon or not, this is the last ride. Uh, and we are going to celebrate it. We are going to savor it. I know he doesn't want to use that either, but we can do that. We're fans. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, so we got a big season. We got big expectations. We talked about them. Thanks again for Brian and Clint for joining us. Duke basketball is back, and we will be with you every single week leading up to or we're, we're, we're five weeks away until we smoke Kentucky in Madison Square Garden. Yes, sir. Go, Duke. Go, Duke. 118-84 again? <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you for tuning in to the 5-Point Play Podcast, the number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at 5-Point Play Podcast. That's the number five point play podcast and on Twitter five point play podcast. Go Duke.